Well, it's the wind up. Here comes that ball. Gotta pray and swing. Watch it till it's going, going. It's gone. It's not your mama's Christine podcast. Welcome everybody to Mama's Christian podcast. The Christian podcast doesn't take itself too seriously. I am your host Shane here with Eric. Eric, what song is that? Jeff Warren Distance. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> I, I enjoy when there's a new person that's sitting here that actually gets to have eyewitness account of these. Terrible, stupid intros. But I, I anyways, I, hey, well, I enjoy do you know, it. Hold on, do you know why I did that song? <laughs> I don't know. Because no. we have Tim Brooks here, the pastor at Crossroads Church in Ellicott City, and he's a huge baseball fan. And a huge Jeff Moore in the Distance fan. <laughs> Is that true, <laughs> I have seen Jeff Moore in the Distance in person in concert before. Whoa. I have seen Jeff Moore in the Distance in person in this church. Yeah, he came here. Wow. On a Sunday morning and led worship. <laughs> He did not do that song, though. No, I was Sadly. I had my fingers crossed. Wow. I'm really blown away by that. He, now, it wasn't Jeff Moore in the distance. It was Jeff Moore. Yeah, of course. But still. <laughs> Who cares yeah. about the distance? Yeah. The distance is anybody. Uh-huh. But yeah, I couldn't believe when he came. And it was like, I don't remember how long ago it was, but it was way after that song. And he came and led more. He sang the tracks. Yeah, he did. I'm blown away. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to Tim. Tim is, as we said, the uh, lead pastor at Crossroads Church, the church that my office is still in, in the basement. They, they call but, me the troll in the basement. Is that right, Tim? Uh, no, we call you the one who still owes us rent. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Uh-huh. What, what do you think it's going to take for you to get rid of Shane? A move of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> Now, and we're getting, I'm getting close. So, because, yeah, yeah. and, and a lot of people from our church listen to this, but we're trying to lease a building. And so we're getting close to that. So I may be gone sooner rather than later. And then you're, go- you're not going to know how, how important I was to the basement. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. I uh, actually, I will miss you when you're gone. You're the only one who comes and has fun sports conversations with me. Yeah. There are times where I'm like, I just got to go upstairs just to get out of this office for a few minutes and just talk sports with Tim. Yeah. But Tim's a, Boston guy, so Boston. I did you talk to him about the game this past Sunday? Yep. Oh, okay. How how we don't need to discuss it that much though, because how did that conversation start, Tim? <laughs> I, I walked upstairs. Yeah, you were wearing a Ravens shirt, so <laughs> I I just like I I had intended not to talk about the Patriots beating the Ravens. I really uh-huh. had intent, intended not to, but you were wearing the Ravens shirt, and I just felt compelled. But I don't think I really talked junk. We had a nice no. conversation, and that's why I enjoy talking sports with you. Because we can have a, a, a logical, calm conversation about both of our sports teams. Yeah. Even though it's the opposite. There's, yeah. There, I, I get that people here hate my football team, but I don't, I kind of respect your guys' football team. Like, I hate the Steelers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I hate the Jets. Well, we can get along there. <laughs> yeah. No problem. For sure. <laughs> yeah. So, Tim, it, tell people how long you've been a lead pastor, or I guess how long have you been in ministry in general? 19 years of ministry, including youth ministry, and... How long were you in youth ministry? Five years. Okay. Five years, I think, which means uh, 14 years as a lead pastor. Mm. So did you enjoy youth ministry? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So when you became a lead, because we all have had that same track, where we all were youth pastors first and then became lead pastors. When you became a lead pastor... If you ever participated in any youth ministry things, what was your feeling at that point? 
I loved doing youth ministry when I was a lead pastor. So I yeah. like I I kind of functioned in my first church as a youth pastor as well because we didn't have resources to hire one. Right. And so I did all sorts of things with them. And and what I remember feeling was this is really strange to be in charge of an event where people actually listen to me. Because <laughs> you were the lead pastor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So adults didn't listen to me, right? Teenagers, <laughs> teenagers, like you give them an instruction and they do it. <laughs> I remember when I became a lead pastor, I remember being, thinking that adult problems and student problems are basically the same petty problems, just adults don't listen to me. Yeah. Where students will actually just be like, okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So like it's still, I felt like it was still the same drama I was dealing with, mm-hmm. just now it's people I didn't have any authority over. <laughs> yeah. I don't know yeah. yeah. A lot of times adults come and they have a problem and they lay it out and yeah. I mean, let's just make it hypothetical, right? They're coming in and they're unhappy in their marriage. Well, then you get to the bottom of it and there's an affair and you say as a pastor, stop having an affair. And they go, well, but, <laughs> well, then you really don't want to fix your marriage, yeah. right? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. so often and that's the most absurd example on the mm-hmm. far end. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I'm surprised. I'm really surprised as a lead pastor, how often people want to like have their pastor just kind of affirm yeah. what oh, it yeah, is yeah. that they're doing yep. rather than rather than try to find the issue and see if we can change direction. Yeah. Or if it's especially in a in a marriage situation, if you do marriage counseling, they they both come in and say, Well, we want to work on our marriage, but really they want you to tell the other person that they're wrong and, and Absolutely. you're right. That's what a lot of times people are looking for and then when you don't do that they get frustrated right <laughs> and it's uh and it, be- it can become a whole thing how um so how long were you a lead pastor at your last church was that the first church you were lead pastor no, no so that was um, your second i think right so i've actually lead pastored four churches four, four churches yeah i thought it was three no so um one of them was a really 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 hard time and so yeah. i was only there two years but i was at my first one for four years then two and a half years, then five. Now I've been here two and a half years. Wow. And so this church, um, for the for those people that are listening that don't know us like personally, this is the church we grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly we got well, we high school. We came when, in, when I was in ninth grade. And I remember the first time I was at this church, that, that was when we were still doing special songs, you know, back in those those days where we always had a special offering song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, I remember the girl who sang it was really attractive in my age. So I was like, I want to come back because <laughs> that girl's hot. Anyways, um, but yeah, so I grew. Up, I know who you're that? talking about. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so we grew up in this church. We knew the 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 pastor, Pastor Kevin, who's been on this podcast before, was here for 17 years. Mm-hmm. And then you came in after a long tenure of a pastor, being at established church, a successful church. So, um, when when did you start working here exactly? April 2018, I think. So, how was what was your game plan that first six months to a year being entering knowing there was a rich well, history let, of, let, i'm gonna give a little bit more background okay. first too because with with pastor kevin and this church for 17 years this church saw the largest growth that it has seen in its history in that time period mm-hmm. so so to come in after a pastor who's been here for almost 20 years and a church that grew a lot when under while he was the lead pastor is is daunting so it's it's not just taking over a church that was dying. It's taking over a church that was successful and still is successful. It's a different dynamic than like coming in and being like, okay, this church has fallen apart, and now I need to revitalize. And the pastor wasn't fired. Right, the pastor. It was like like he moved on to he, become a district superintendent. Yeah. So, um, with all that, how was that first six months to a year? Like, what what was your main focus and like? 
what, what were you trying to do that first six months to a year? Yeah, I've, I, so being that this is my fourth church I've taken over, the, the first and the third followed pastorates that had struggled and seen decline in mm-hmm. giving and attendance. And the two middle ones uh, followed pastorates who'd seen growth and um, income and attendance. Yeah. And it is much easier to follow someone who has struggled. Yeah, like yeah. you could just come in and like start ripping things out and people are mm-hmm. desperate for something to go different. Mm-hmm. Um, here... I I um I, I remember there's this saying in the interim which was great the best is yet to come yet to come, and my first sermon I, I wanted to make it clear that I am not the best thing I am not the thing that is to come that you're mm-hmm. waiting for, and um and what I what I wanted to convey as often as I could in in board meeting and in sermons is that if you feel your church is changing because I'm here it's a personality thing. What you're feeling is the difference between Kevin's personality and my personality, because I'm not changing anything. Mm -hmm. And if something changes, it's because I'm ignorant of a history that you all have, and I don't. Mm -hmm. And so... um, so for the first six months to a year, I really did nothing except exist. I preached, I went to things, I talked to people, I tried to get to know people, but I had I had no vision for anything. I was not Moses from on high coming down yeah. with the tablets. Yeah. I was here very explicitly to learn to love the people and the neighborhood and mm-hmm. figure out what has made this church so great for so long and really get to the bottom of that. And so somewhere around the uh, six to 18 month mark, I can't pinpoint it at this point, I started having um, uh, pastors and leaders identify people across the congregation to create a vision team with me. And we sat down once a month on a Sunday evening of about 25 to 30 people, representative of different families, of um, different parts of the church, children's ministry, music ministry, on and on and on and on. And I would ask them, things like, why do you love this church? What makes this church great? What can't go away? What is the DNA of this church? What's been the vision of this church? Okay, now what are the things that that you don't like? What are the things that do need to go away? What are the holes and vacuums and weaknesses that we have? And um, and it's, it doesn't matter how good, of, I mean, you could go to like Andy Stanley's church and there's holes and vacuums and weaknesses, right? right? Like there's no such thing as a church that doesn't have that. But oftentimes, the places that you hold, have holes and vacuums are places that you can create wins, mm-hmm. right, that show that you're moving forward. So we identified all those things together and wrote a vision that I constantly, constantly told that vision team, as we reshape our vision, this is not a rejection of the past. This is not at all meant to say the last 17 years weren't great. They were quite obviously great, but we can't keep being that church because the driver of that vision isn't here. And it also was successful in the time and place that it was successful in. And just because something works in 2005 or 2015 doesn't mean it means it's going to work in 2025. MySpace is a perfect example. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a perfect example, right? And so, um, so I kept telling that vision team over and over and over that we're not here to undo what's been so great about the past. We will celebrate the past. The past has been good to us, but we've got to take the DNA of that past that's made us great and re- and retrofit it to the future that's coming. Mm-hmm. And so that's really how I focused my first year or two. See, that takes a lot of humility to walk in because you've had success as a pastor and you've pastor churches that have grown and and, done, and have done great things. And so I, I feel like, and pastors, as we've talked about, are uh, are typically egomaniacs. Like, to do what we do, it takes confidence, and that a lot of times borders on 
being arrogant and egotistical. And so a lot of times when a pastor comes into a, to a new church as a new pastor, it's like, I'm going to blow them away. I'm going to show them all these things and I've got these great ideas, but to come in and sit there and just listen and, and the way that you did takes a lot of humility, which is extremely important. I remember my first intro to ministry class, it talked, they talked about that. If you take over a church, you can't come in and just flip everything upside down right away. Like, especially a church that has had success, you have to come in and do things the way that they've done it for the first six months to a year, or maybe even longer, depending on the situation. And then you can start to implement things. But if you come in and you and you just go, okay, that's all great that you did. I'm changing everything. Then people are going to be upset about it or frustrated and not want to listen or follow or any of those sort of things. So I think it was really wise of you to go in in that direction. Yeah. Was it challenging to 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 get to a place like that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um not not so much not so much the disposition. Like I think I could be that person pretty comfortably. Mm-hmm. Um but one of the things that I think is really challenging to be a pastor versus a person who goes to a church is that a pastor is the pastor of the church and often in the building six or seven times a week. Mm-hmm. And it takes the average parishioner six weeks to get to the same amount of time that we've been in a building in a week. Mm-hmm. So things that feel like change yeah. to us kind of come come across a lot, like a lot more yeah. incrementally, right? If, we're, if we've changed something over two weeks and we've been in the building doing this change for 12 days of our time, mm-hmm. it takes the average churchgoer 12 weeks to experience that change. Oh, yeah. And so, so sort of like the way that you identify something as a pastor that needs to change, and you think like, oh, I've worked really hard to change this sort of thing, mm-hmm. you can begin to see how it feels like the carpet being taken out from underneath someone who just goes to the church, and they thought they signed up for one thing, and now it's another thing. And so, um, so I, try to, I try to understand that as best I can. Um, what's difficult, I think, and, and particularly challenging, is... Um, Things like uh, like generation gap, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, my predecessor, I think, is like 15 years older than me, something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, he brings about sort of a, um, a, a um, boomer slash Gen X line perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and I have – I was born more on the Gen X millennial perspective. And so um, the world is just different to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what becomes frustrating, I think, is that – I don't necessarily understand why he did what he did, but I also don't have the history of why he did what he did. So then I can't clearly communicate to a congregation why what I'm doing is different because I don't even understand why it's different. I'm just being me. Yeah. I'm just seeing things from my perspective, my generation, that sort of thing. And so it's not an attempt to be controversial or a change agent mm-hmm. or anything like that, a leader, a visionary. It's not anything like that. It's just like I can only be me mm-hmm. and Kevin can only be Kevin. And there's some ways that you just can't do the same thing. You could do the same thing, and it feels two very different things mm-hmm. just because two different personalities and generations have done it. Right. And so that was what I really wanted to communicate to the church is, like, if you feel shifts and changes, um, please understand it's probably just my ignorance, my institutional, my mm-hmm. church story ignorance, mm-hmm. and not my rejection of my predecessor. Yeah. I don't have the storied history that you embody so I'm just being me. Right, right. And you're coming from not only different generation, but different culture. I mean, he, um, 
that Kevin was here for 17 years. But right? they're both Boston guys. They are both Boston <laughs> guys, but but he understood yeah. the Maryland DMV culture where you're moving in. It's going to take you a while to, to understand it. Um, so there's that aspect of it. And I know I, I, I can imagine how there are people that are here that want you to be Kevin to them. Mm-hmm. And you're just not. Just yeah. like Kevin's not Tim or any other pastors, any you know, I mean, you're yeah. you got to be yourself and authentic. So, how is it floating in that pond of like people want you to be their Kevin and you're not Kevin, you're Tim? So, like, how how do you navigate through that? Yeah, I, I have a great amount of empathy and for a few people in particular who, um, 55 or so, and mm-hmm. their pastor looked like them, talked like them, thought like them, spent time like them, spent money like them, voted like them. Um, they mm-hmm. ate at the same restaurants, and so it was really easy to be friends. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't have uh, a gap in interest in their lives from what Kevin had. I'm very interested in them, but they don't quite get me in the same way. And in the meantime, what's really complicated is there's this whole group of parents here who are 32 or 41 or whatever, who are like, oh my gosh, he makes Seinfeld references in his sermon. This is a breath of fresh air. <laughs> yeah. Like, and 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 this sort of like gap that they had, like it was a good children's ministry, but they didn't quite like fit with the pastor. Now they, oh, they love, they love that now the pastor is their peer, right? Mm-hmm. And tells their stories and goes to their restaurants and all this kind of stuff. And what's really, really hard, I think, is to not spend my time just loving that arena and just all the praise (laughs) that comes from people who love that their pastors like them Mm -hmm. at the expense of just letting the 50-somethings go, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I I have to understand what they're mourning and empathize with that and still show up at their events and and do my best to understand and exist in their culture, Mm -hmm. even though it's not my culture, to do my best to let them know, man, your glory days in the church aren't anymore because the pastor that was just like you left and the church board hired someone who's not Mm -hmm. just like you. Mm -hmm. And I feel really bad about that, but there's nothing I can do to fix it. I can only do my best to love them and pastor them. Yeah. And, and not, and obviously being clear too that, like, it's not that one is better than the other, right? It's, it's just who you are and it's just the age difference. And they say that a pastor is most effective 10 years older and 10 years younger than your age. Yeah. So for me being 33, my, my sweet range is 23 to 43, but closer to 33. So it, and and that's just the nature of it because that's who I am and 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 you're and you're do you, do you care if I share your age I don't know no no thirty nine right what what so old and, fart and we're all kind of, and Eric's right in the middle <laughs> at thirty five so like yeah. we're all kind of in the same sort of range and and when Pastor Kevin started here at Crossroads that was the range that he was in too absolutely which so, I think is part of the genius of, right of them thinking about hiring me rather than a Kevin replica. Mm-hmm. Although there's a lot of overlap between Kevin and I. Yeah. Lot, lots of overlap. Uh, both come from New England. Both mm-hmm. uh, uh, both take seriously the work of preaching, wanting mm-hmm. to be interesting and engaging. Um, the idea of external focus. I mean, there's a lot of overlap between yeah. us. So I don't make it seem like it's all that different. But the genius is, is they hired Kevin for for really his his prime of his life, right? Like, I'm about to turn 40, and pastorally, that feels like being a 25-year-old star in the NBA. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, uh-huh. I, I, on the one hand, like, I woke up this morning and my back hurt, and I could barely roll out of bed. Uh-huh. Just from life. Hand, but yeah, like, from 30 to 50, I mean, that's when 
Yeah. That's that's really like the age range of people that you're trying to reach in church. Mm-hmm. They've got families, uh, teens, kids ministries can thrive, all of that, right? I mean, it, it feels like the prime of your career at 40, right. and that's really when the church took off the first time, right, was Correct. when Kevin was about 40 and through his 40s. Mm-hmm. And so um, rather than trying to recapture Kevin, right, and, and fitting someone in that was just like him because that's what they needed, the... It seems to me like they were wise, I and mean, whether or not I'm the right person, that's a whole other set of questions, mm-hmm. and there'd be people who would agree or disagree, but it seemed wise to me that they, they went yeah. for that era of effectiveness that Kevin had, rather than just getting his current peer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you both are f- phenomenal preachers, and very different. And and not just preachers, but yeah. pastors. And so, because I had the I had the privilege of working with Pastor Kevin for so many years, and uh, and so I know him really well. And I'm and I've gotten to know you better over the last few years working in the same building, not working for you, uh, mm-hmm. but but working in the same building. And it's and it's interesting for me to see both of you and the way that you lead effectively, both of you very effectively, but both of you very differently. And it's just it's just kind of cool, and it's cool to see that like that's. The cool part about being a person and being in the world is all these different types of people and different personalities who can still lead effectively with different strategies in place. And it's nice to see that a church can keep succeeding Yes, when they're, the main person who's leading it is not there anymore, which is what it's supposed to be, right? Like it's, It fails if, if, if I were to leave Impact and Impact falls apart, mm-hmm. that's a leadership problem for me. So it's a good thing that it's like, oh, we're able to still go because even without the main person, because it's not just about the lead pastor either, mm-hmm. obviously. It's it's totally true. Mm-hmm. It's totally, totally, utterly true. And uh, one of the one other thing that I'll say too is um, I think some of my um, my slowness to take take leadership here confused some of the staff in ways that it didn't necessarily confuse the congregation because I didn't come in demanding things. I didn't come in telling them to do things. And um, I just kept listening and listening and listening. I'd kind of do a devotional and let Norm run staff meeting. And yeah. some point, some of them kind of gave me feedback of saying, why aren't you just grabbing the bull by the horns? And I thought, I, I think that I think you would have been miserable if I had done that. Mm-hmm. I, I think what I needed to do and what I've tried to do is spend my first two years trying for people to get used to me, to mm-hmm. build trust with people, to um, to build relationships with people, all this kind of stuff. And now I can see, and like 2020 has given me some interesting opportunities with COVID to like yeah. kind of really start implementing some change, um, mostly out of necessity, right? But I can feel like after the two-year mark kind of really like mm-hmm. – starting to to drive vision and not just be the the preaching pastor and mm-hmm. the counseling pastor and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's interesting. Besides being a lead pastor, you're also an author. Uh-huh. Um, you wrote a book called The Formational Power of Worship. So um, give everyone a, some background on what your book's about. So um, as a pastor in the Church of the Nazarene, I've often found that um, lapsed Catholics really like our church or denomination. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I always hear from people who are former Catholics is that they they didn't understand what was going on, right? Mm-hmm. That seems to be one of the real common criticisms of people who have left Catholicism. There's all this pomp and circumstance, there's all these things happening, and I just don't get it, and it's hard for me to make it personal. And so um, I, I began thinking, uh, I read a book by uh, James K.A. Smith, some people call him Jamie Smith, 
where uh, he talks about how all of life is liturgical. Now, liturgical is kind of a big, scary word for evangelical people, Mm -hmm. but really it just translates as work of the people. And his point is that everything is liturgical. Patriotism is liturgical. You stand when the national anthem is played. He says the mall is liturgical because you know which way to walk and you know Mm -hmm. which stores to go into. And you know, like everything has these orders and these orders and participations that we do in life create the desires of our heart. Yeah. And he says the the point of being a Christian really is to desire the kingdom of God, to see it implemented in our world and to and we've got to do things that are liturgical mm-hmm. to shape our heart to long for the kingdom in our world. And I began to think, well, how am I doing that as a pastor? How am I shaping people to long for the kingdom of God? Mm-hmm. I thought, well, the most clear way that I'm doing this is being the leader of worship every Sunday, right? And so then I began to think of all these stories of all these Catholics that that I know that I'm pastoring to. At this t- point, I'm pastoring in Maine, which is a heavily Catholic yeah. history, not yeah. unlike Baltimore here, right? Mm-hmm. And so I had a lot of people who had been Catholic or baptized Catholic as a kid or whatever. And they and I thought, well, okay, so if people are going to church less often, they're going to discipleship less often than say when I was a kid. What am I doing to build a longing for the kingdom? So I began to think about the things we do in a worship service, everything from like the welcome in the open to offering to singing to sermon. Mm-hmm. And I started asking, well, why do we do these things? What is the point of these things? And what I try to do in this is break down the different parts of a of a just a typical, really generic worship service. I don't think there's anything that unusual about what most churches do in it. And I tried to get to the bottom of why. Why do we do these things? Mm-hmm. And I tried to balance it against um, things that we engage in the world when we're not in church, whether it's TV or music or the internet. And I began to think like, okay, if, if Smith is right that all of life is liturgical and it's trying to shape desires of our heart, what is our interaction with books and movies and TV and Netflix? What is that asking us to desire? What are we? What are the people that I see desiring? And what is it that participating in worship could like counterform for us desire that looks more like a kingdom shaped focus? Hmm. And so that's a long way of getting to the thesis, but really trying to think like trying to help people in my congregation or other pastors or people who are worship leaders really think about why they do the things that they do. Hmm. So it can be a particular effort to counterform our experience in the world that isn't like a lot of the things we do is amoral. It's not like it's yeah. like leading us to be bad morally, right? But if we find ourselves, you know, desiring a hot pocket more than going to church, right? Like, why? Yeah. I mean, that's, it, pot pockets are amoral, yeah. right? But like, we don't desire to be in the presence of God, I don't think, in in the full ways that we should. And so, it seems to me, and this is kind of how I'm wired, getting to the bottom of why and trying to make these things more robust and meaningful will help people feel like they're experiencing the presence of God more fully mm-hmm. if we're being intentional by the way we lead worship. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And, and for our perspective in being church planters, that was one of the appeals, at least to me, and, and, I, and I think to you for being a church planter, is we didn't have the taking over something that was already established. Instead, we were establishing it. So, so we could do whatever we wanted, basically, uh, for the for the most part. And so, like thinking Not about do whatever we want <laughs> to to a certain extent. When it comes to like the oh, service, you wear jeans, so you're cool. Yeah, now. that's I, what you think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, but like in 
we didn't have the expectation of, well, service runs like this. We start this way. We do this amount of songs. We do offering at this point. Like, we could think that through before doing it, right? And, and plan it out. But both of you are very strategical people, right? And you're both – I know we talk about the Enneagram a lot and sometimes people get annoyed with it. But you, you both are threes and I'm a seven. So strategy is not my sweet spot. So like thinking of like why we do the things that we do, I'm not – for me, that's not my first go-to, right? Like my, my go-to is was it fun? Will people enjoy it? Will, and, and that's like what I think most of the time. And so I, I, I'm trying to get more – strategic in in this way but you both are wired that way and so if can you give me an example uh, and eric you can even though you didn't write a book but uh, can you give me can you guys give me examples of what is something that you do during a worship service on a sunday that is very specific strategy wise like we do this because of whatever it may be so um i think i think one real easy one for me is doing a benediction rather than a closing prayer mm. i think it's kind of common to kind of pray your way out mm -hmm. but i do a benediction and it, it i think it kind of looks formal at first i'm I, I on the one hand like i love going to catholic mass because the the pomp and circumstance of formality is so meaningful to me but i could never be catholic yeah. right I, I still like have this desire to be um, an evangelical Christian pastor, and and I really believe I am where I'm meant to be, personality-wise and everything. But um, but I like to do a benediction rather than a closing prayer because I think it's intentional in sending. It's a wrapping up of what we've talked about today. I always try to tie it all together, and then remind the people that as they go, as they walk out the door. What we've just experienced doesn't end. You've been called to something, and you've been called to go into your life receiving the grace that we've seen and experienced here. And so I do that because a, a closing prayer, I think, kind of wraps it up. And a benediction is more of a reminder of saying, what we've just experienced goes with you, and now you get to be this person we've been here as a missionary, as a, as a light, as, a, um, as, a, as the presence of God for the sake of the world. And so that's something really strategic mm -hmm. that I do, trying to not end the service, but instead mm -hmm. remind them that what has happened here goes yeah. with you, that I've you carry on. doing it. it all wrong. See, Shane just... doing a closing prayer. <laughs> Shane prays for transition purposes alone, <laughs> because he's trying to figure it out. Where See, that's that's what a good three does. They're oh, like, okay, gosh. okay, what do we want to push? I didn't, I didn't want this to turn into <laughs> you guys talking down to me. Tim's not talking down to me. Eric talking down to me. He's more polite. But um, because... <laughs> I, and I get it because you want that you want a certain feeling when you're leaving and you want people to take what they're what they just heard and actually live it out and apply it out so there's intention behind every aspect of it which is what your book's mainly about right like each thing why we do in our normal typical services why we do each aspect right absolutely and um, this this all started as a um, actually as my doctoral project and so I had to I had to research it heavily, which you have to do for a book anyways, but what's not in the book is an interviewing of my congregation before and after the project where mm -hmm. I asked them, like, why do you think we do these things? And um, sometimes people like squarely had this beautiful theological answer, and sometimes like they had really practical mm -hmm. or shallow answers. and. Um, so I asked them the same questions before and after I did this project with them and walked them through the why of what we do. And um, the backside of just walking 
my congregation through why we do the things we do in worship. Mm-hmm. Like I would get like four word answers to the question on the front end and on the back end, I was like scribbling like mad to try to get down all their quotes because I think people are really open to the question of why. I, I think it's a powerful question. Mm-hmm. And when you actually walk them through why it is what we, and this could this could extend outside of worship. It could vision and children's ministry, youth ministry, and all the things we do in the church. When you start engaging the why of people, it really does increase engagement, understanding, and participation, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think asking the why question can go even beyond church and religion like your jobs and what like Absolutely. why do we do the means the way we do why like that why question is a big question and there's things that we do at church that i'm always curious if people know why we do it and then if they don't know why is that because we haven't communicated it well enough is that because we haven't shown it well enough or is it they're missing it like what what aspect is it yeah i had a staff pastor with me when i did this in maine her name was cheryl she was in her 50s i love cheryl with all my heart she is um she's probably an eight on the enneagram really aggressive just a powerful challenger yeah oh yeah um she would remind me all of the time that her her kids were my age Her, her in fact her oldest daughter um graduate high school the same year as me, different states, not knowing each other, whatever. But we became friends just because, you know, I worked with her mom. She would remind me all of the time that when she was going through school and people older were going through school, Mm -hmm. they were taught to the what? Know the answers, study the answers, regurgitate the answers. And when you know the answers, you can make it through life. She goes, you guys had a completely different educational experience. When I was walking my kids through school, Mm -hmm. you guys had to come up with theory. You were taught to argue. You were taught to question. It's like, we, we, we were in trouble if we questioned. And so I think there's a real leadership principle to this moving forward. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think we see in our, in our culture today that, that people who are older are really frustrated that younger people are questioning everything. Like, Seriously, guys, we were told Christopher Columbus is good, so Christopher Columbus is good. (laughs) And our our generation was taught the exact opposite, to assume nothing was good and learn that it is good through research, right? Right. And there's lots of things that people our age think are good, and they've come to that, and they have a reasonable argument that matches perfectly with people who are 80 in our world today. Mm -hmm. But there are other things, because we were taught suspicion, we we are inherently wired for the why, Mm -hmm. and I don't think our generation is going to get behind anything that they can't articulate or at least feel the why in their gut. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what I wanted to get at with this book is is helping especially especially pastors of uh, smaller churches who feel like they're aging and losing relevance to get back to the heart of the why question because I think if they could ask the why question, their age and seeming irrelevance of small church, if they're feeling all that, won't matter to people who are 25 and starting a family because if you can articulate a why that's compelling whether it's in in leadership or vision or your piece of worship, I think people who are our age and younger will get excited about that. And and if you can articulate it and help them buy in, they're in, man. Yeah, that's yeah. the beauty of millennials, right? Right. The right. pain is that they question everything, right? <laughs> we, I, I shouldn't throw you under we, right? We yeah. question everything, but when we get to that answer of why, they'll run through a wall for you. Yeah. yeah. So in in this process of thinking about why you do everything that you do in 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 a worship service, was there anything where you were like there is no reason for this or the reason for doing this is not relevant anymore that you then had to change or or eliminate throughout the process it's okay if you don't i would just 
Uh, no, that's a, that's a really great question. Um, not in worship service, mm-hmm. and and part of that is because as much as I am a millennial and as much as I love changing things and trying things and all that kind of stuff, I have a great respect for the history of the church as well. Mm-hmm. And so I really chose things that I think are are timeless. Like for example, we're not going to stop taking offering. Right. Right. We're not going to stop taking communion. Yeah, the sacraments, yeah. Right, exactly. So so I really try to take things... Um, I, I didn't get down to the minutia of things we do in this local church. I really took eight movements that I, I think more or less every church does. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I added in to the book that wasn't necessarily in my doctoral work was that I separated out the idea of response and sacrament because not every response is a sacrament, but I, I make the argument that every sermon should lead to a response. Mm-hmm. And in the history of the Church of the Nazarene, where we all pastor, that's, that's often been the altar, right? But I make the argument, it doesn't have to be the altar, right? But if, if you've pressed and pressed and pressed something in your sermon, you should hope that it's moved someone to something. And if you can create tangible ways for them to stand and move and react, I think embodying what God is making you feel really helps things solidify. Mm. And so that's one thing I kind of added in by saying, hopefully to pastors who are reading this, do something that allows them to respond. Yeah. Whether it's an intentional song where they stand and listen, whether it's, um, like I've, I've done all sorts of weird things, like there's a guy here who's a volunteer firefighter, and I, I lit a massive fire in our gym one Sunday, and he was so mad at me for lighting a fire <laughs> in the gym. <laughs> Oh, he was so mad at me. But (laughs) what I wanted to do was, I talked about sin and God forgiving sin, and I had people come and write things that they were struggling with and just drop it in the fire as if giving it to the all-consuming fire of God, that God can take your sin and Uh, make it nil. Powerful. Right, yeah. I thought it was powerful too, but the fire people do not like open flames inside of buildings. (laughs) Who'd have thought? (laughs) Um, Let... I want to get specific. So you're talking about some of the, the whys when it comes to our worship service. So let's get specific. Why do we do things like, and whether it's historically or now nowadays, why do we do offering? You give that example. Why why do churches do that? Yeah, I, I mean... Besides paying the pastor a sure, ton of money sure. and shoes and that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm reading Malachi this week, and I'm just reminding... Sometimes it's just that simple, mm-hmm. right? The, the temple and... The temple was falling in disrepair, and the priests were not being paid properly. And God is like, bring your tithe, and I will bless you beyond measure, mm-hmm. right? But sometimes there just is that tangible reason, right, that we do it in order to maintain the church yeah. and to pay the pastors and to make sure the ministries carry on. But but that's not what I get to in the book here. Quite the opposite. I, I talk about how it, it forms in us a generous heart and how God has a generous heart, and that if we can come to worship willing to risk, uh, it, it creates within us the kind of person who's willing to take a generous risk in our life as well. And um, I, I talk in that chapter about the song 500 Miles by the, by, I think it's the Pretenders, right? Yeah. yeah. I would walk yeah. 500 miles. Yeah. And so so I talk about how, how we have this cultural value of risking everything for things like love. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I would walk five, I would, I would, I would bleed through my feet in order to show up at your doorstep and have you. And then we get to this idea that there's an almighty God who created everything. And it's like, 10%? Really? I like, 10%? That's yeah. crazy. Right? And so why is it that we have, where does this idea come from that we would be so risky and lavish 
for things like love, mm-hmm. but we can't imagine ourselves being risky and lavish for God. Where does that come from, right? And so, so I talked about when we give, when we take this moment in worship and actually give, we're practicing the heart of God, who is a giver as well, that hopefully then shapes us to have this sort of disposition of God where we're generous with our life and our time and everything outside of worship as well. Well, I'm going to use that for my next money sermon. <laughs> I'm just going to take this clip out of the podcast and just play it in the middle and, of And act show. like you made it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what good pastors do. And why do I do that? Because it's better than anything I could have come up with. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, hey, listen, no one goes to both of our churches, so if you just want to take this thing and do a Done. whole sermon series, don't ever say it's me. They'll never know. <laughs> They'll never know. Nobody, nobody from your church listens to my sermon. <laughs> Unless they hate it. They'd say, well, it wasn't yeah, me. Yeah, it's yeah, Tim's fault. That's a beauty, right? Like, <laughs> The people who love it, you take it. I'm a genius. Yeah. The people who hate it is like, well, it's a crossroads pastor's fault. <laughs> so now there is one thing in your book that I know Eric has a question about. Because Eric is not a fan of greeting time. No, hold on. True. No I'm, one is. Yeah. I'm not a fan. Here's what I'm specifically not a fan of. I I understand and and that we need to have times where we can we fellowship and greet. I am not a fan of the time in between the last worship song and the time you do your announcements where you force everyone to awkwardly yeah, shake hands. Absolutely. Meet greet time. I'm not a fan of that. Yeah. And I hope COVID killed it. <laughs> I hope it's gone forever for most churches. Yeah. So so it's funny because I also don't like it. Yeah. I, I also don't particularly like it. But I do it. I do it for a reason. I talk about the reason in the book too, obviously. And what's funny is every time I've talked about it or preached about it or whatever dozens of people have come up to me and told me that they've rethought their perspective on it. Oh, get ready, Eric. Let's see if you can can change my opinion. (laughs) So, yeah, we'll see. Um, So, (laughs) I I cite this fascinating study at Purdue University that blows my mind every time I think about it. So, uh, you're going to watch my mind blow again. (laughs) Um, They they put, uh, like, a graduate student in the middle of a busy quad at Purdue University, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but but a significant amount of people, she did one of three things, too. She either looked them in the eye and greeted them, looked at them but passed them, or just completely ignored that they were there. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of like uh, grad students on the back end of the quad, and each person that walked by her, they mm-hmm. would grab them and ask them, how are you doing today? And there was a significant shift in how well they were doing from whether or not that girl had greeted them, whether or not she'd looked past them, or whether or not they'd been ignored. Mm-hmm. People who'd been ignored all kind of... And the people who they looked at were all like, to yeah. a significant amount, were like, yeah, I'm doing great. I'm having a good day. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so the output of that study is that actually looking people in the eye and greeting them tangibly makes a difference. I also think the idea of greeting time is a good reminder that it's not about you. Like, it's about us. We have come here. There are people, there's embodied stories in this place. Mm-hmm. And church isn't good based on whether or not you thought the sermon was good. Yeah. Right? And so it, it, it gives us an opportunity to practice our Christian faith that is social, right, in a very tangible, controlled environment. Mm-hmm. And I think the truth of the matter is, I think we're all kind of extroverted, right? Mm-hmm. And so we don't need greeting time. Right. I can go talk to people anytime I want, right? Put me in the middle of the Columbia Mall, I'll find people to talk yeah. to. But not everyone's wired like us. And so as uncomfortable as it is, and I, like, I think it's uncomfortable, right? It's an actual part of worship 
that reminds us how much of a difference we can make in each other's lives. Mm -hmm. That just taking a moment to look someone in the eye not only reminds me that I'm not here alone, but it also could be a tangible difference in their life too. It really possibly can Mm -hmm. raise their spirits and help them moving forward in the worship service. So take that, Eric. I I agree with all that, (laughs) 100%. I just don't like the doing it in between the last song and the announcement. That's all. But do you like doing it at all in a service? We don't do it during the service, but we are intentional about making sure that people are doing that. Like yeah. during family service, yeah. we do a family service at 930, service at 1030. We like talk about, hey, people come. We need to like show them and, and greet them. So we just don't do it in the middle. Do, do they do it? Yeah. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. But... Not not everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not everybody does it when you do in the worship service. Either. Yeah, and a lot. Sometimes people just shake one person's hand, like stop, don't don't stop shaking my hand, so I don't have to talk to the awkward person behind yeah. me. Yeah. So and you know, the history that... of this before any of us came around was was called the passing of the peace, right? And so mm-hmm. that's so like you go to a Catholic church, church, they won't say have greeting time. They'll say pass the peace, and they go to one another and they say the peace of the Lord be with you. Yeah, the peace yeah. of the Lord be with you. Yeah. And uh, I think that's awkward too. Yeah, yeah. But there's also something beautiful about that, yeah. right? Like actually intentionally wishing peace of God on your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, practicing this awkwardness of sharing your faith in the worship service, I think, mm-hmm. may help us practice sharing our awkwardness right. on, on Monday as well. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I remember hearing about a church, and I don't even know if this was uh, real or not, uh, or if it was just like a, a joke article or something like the Babylon. It wasn't on Babylon B, but I didn't know if it was like that or not. If but it was it online, was, I 100% believe it. It was online, so it's 100% true. Shane doesn't read books. He reads online. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he probably just read the headline of it and said, I got it. I got the gist. It was saying that it was a church service that had an extroverted service and an introverted service. And the introverted service, you could come and not speak to anybody and leave, and they wouldn't force you to. Like, there was no greeting time. There's no none of this. Like, if you were an introvert and you – because some people are like, do not talk to me, right? And, like, Mm -hmm. don't want to – spend any time talking to anybody and you can just come in the service nobody's going to welcome you in the door no greeters no nothing but that's the way they would advertise a service and, and i don't know if it was effective or not but i was like ah oh, man that just seems so cold and so so boring to yeah me. not not only that um i i've, I've generally got a, a problem with like consumer church yeah like where we start too. with like what you want yeah and we service that uh because i don't really think we have a consumer god Right, who's God's like? Hey, tell me what you would like. Oh, three trillion dollars, nineteen beautiful wives, and a home in the Hamptons. Okay, well, let's make that happen, right? This is not the God we serve, right? The God we serve instead goes to Jonah and says, "Hey, go preach to Nineveh." And Jonah says, "No way, man." And God pursues and pursues and pursues. Um, and, and so I think if our worship starts with assuming we're a consumer, it's going to create a certain kind of person, right? right? And so that's part of the reason why I included greeting time in here is because sometimes I think submitting ourselves to something that's not fun and is awkward mm-hmm. and all that shapes our heart to understand that being a Christian isn't always fun and is sometimes awkward. And that can be a, a victorious thing. It may not right. be a fun thing, right? But there can be victory in that. There can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are, are there actual introvert churches? Is that a real thing? That's what I was saying. I don't I don't know if that I was actually... I don't see how that's and No, it thing. wasn't a whole church. It was like a service. Like they uh, had two services. Okay, because there's and there's a there is an EQ element of this mm-hmm. where it's like you want like I I like to have our host team that is very smart with their EQ so they can read when someone comes in you can yeah. still give them that high but you can tell okay this person's not doesn't ex- want to have an extra talk but 
I still looked him in the eye, said, hey, welcome, whatever. And then that's kind and of... Then let him go. Let him go. Like, there's a part to that where, where there's other people that just, no matter what, <laughs> is going to get you in a conversation. And then yeah. that person might be, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm not doing that. And it takes a while for some people, especially introverts, potentially, that are like... Mm-hmm. And introverts, we, we would say introverts, but Eric, my wife's an introvert who's extra friendly. It's just... Some people are just more quiet, right? right. So there is that aspect. But almost everyone would say... Chick-fil-A is better service than McDonald's. And why is that? Because generally there's that, that greeting aspect, that friendliness. There's something about Disney world. That's like, man, everyone is so friendly here. There's a difference for that. So even if you're love talking to people or not, there's a huge value, especially now you add the part of, Oh, we're the body of Christ together. And we, as a, and we are moving as a church on mission then of course there's an even bigger aspect to that that's that's so crucially important. When for us as smaller churches, whenever like a a new person or family would attend, like a lot of people get excited and everyone knows, oh my goodness, there's a new family that came in, right? Like, like Tommy Boy and the muffin, like I just want to pet it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then he, he destroys yeah. it. Like, I think yeah. what, <laughs> what Eric is saying is if you're looking for a new church, do not go to Impact <laughs> yeah. because he will treat you like Tommy Boy with a muffin. <laughs> and, but like not me. We don't have me greet time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like that kind of happens in, in, in smaller churches where it's like you're so excited that a new family walked in. And there have been times at our church where it's like other people – in our church notice and they're like, I'm going to make them feel welcome. And then I see them talking to him from across the room. Like I need to get that person away from this new family because they're freaking them out. They're like over the top too much because they don't have that EQ that's going on. That's telling them, okay, give this person some distance. It's like, you just smother them. It's like, Oh, well we do this. We do this. You should come to this. We're doing this next week. And it's just like the other person's like, Oh my gosh. And it's in their face. Mm -hmm. And we have to kind of buffer (laughs) in between, but it's, it's harder said than done sometimes. And you don't want to squash that Spirit I can tell person. you that we have the same problem at Crossroads too. Yeah. So I don't like it. But not necessarily a big small church thing you're saying? No. No, I don't <laughs> think so. Yeah. I don't think so. I mean it's it's just exciting to have new people. Right. You know, I mean if you're if you're Target and someone has tried Target for the first time, I imagine the manager is like giddy. Yeah. And I mean, so I just think, I think yeah, maybe it's not even necessarily a church thing, like you're right. saying. It could yeah. just be an all around thing. You you're excited when you get new customer when you get whatever. So right. And just some people just don't know what to do with that excitement. <laughs> so they, they get real giddy about it. Yeah. Um, and I mo- love that excitement. My mom goes to Impact because she loves me more than Shane. And obviously. <laughs> and, <laughs> and there are times where she gets so excited uh-huh. that she goes to a new person. And then, like, my, my sister has said, and mom's going to hear this, which is fine. But my sister has said, said to me before, like, she's just, she's too much. She's a backup. She's like so excited. Like, oh, and my my brother's the, the pastor. Just kidding. It's my son. <laughs> Always those kind of jokes. Does mom know that, that you think that? I don't. There's nothing I'm she, thinking. Is she going to hear this right now and be be really sad? No. She, she, you know she listens all I know, the time. I know. No. She I, She knows she does this. Okay. She, and, and she's one of our greeters, but da, my dad is and like mom our is a very greeter. good greeter. Yeah. She just gets excited yeah. because she wants what's best for her favorite son. I thought she that wants Eric her did a great job of blaming the accusation on your sister. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So whatever is yeah, thought, yeah. it starts with the sister and exudes to you yeah, too. Wow. Just receive it as information. <laughs> it sounds like to me. I don't stake claim to any of those beliefs, Mom. That is neither do I. Eric. It's Jessica. <laughs> so I, I just want to clarify something. This is not your mama's podcast, but it is your mama's podcast oh, for sure. My mom's okay, podcast. Okay. Okay. Yeah. She, she is. She is the biggest fan. So I guess that we're really big hypocrites. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> and you know what? We've had people. 
on our podcast who see the name Nacho Ramones Christian Podcast. Oh, okay, so we can do whatever we want. We can say whatever we want. We can use whatever words we want. And then after the interview, they'll find out we're pastors. Like, oh, was I not supposed to cuss or whatever? Like, I mean, we don't really care what you do. But then they're like, but I thought this was not your mom's Christian <laughs> podcast. We're like, I know. It's just us acting like we're we're tougher than we really are, yeah. really. Yeah, that's really the truth. <laughs> <laughs> the the yeah. big generational defining line is whether or not you cuss, mm. I yeah. guess. Yep. <laughs> it's weird. It yep, is weird. That that's normally is it. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, before we close, we should probably play the game with Tim that we're supposed to play with guests now. Oh gosh. I gotta pull it up though. Yeah. Well while I'm pulling it up, why don't we Tim, why don't you give everybody uh um let everybody know where they can get your book and, and how they can find you. find you. Yeah, I'm really disappointed because I thought this was a politics podcast. <laughs> I heard recently it. you've had people come on and share their political opinions. And <laughs> your, no your boy Kevin, yeah, he was all about it. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you know, and kidding. I've had people, did you listen to that one? Uh, no, Shane told me all about it. I, I, couldn't, bear, I couldn't bear to listen Kevin to it Sorbo. after Shane told me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've had, I had people like hit me up. It's like, because... We the intro we give to it is like we give an intro like so he says some things we don't agree with <laughs> like yeah. and we don't argue it so we don't want I don't want people from my congregation to think we passively agreed with it and so I heard I had people that asked me was like oh, I heard the intro I was like oh no what do you say and then we started like yeah he's not saying anything and then there was a couple things that were like extra uh-huh. what is he saying <laughs> why is he saying that but. Yeah, it was uncomfortable. <laughs> Politics just are uncomfortable, man. They're just uncomfortable. So, yeah, I don't like talking about it one way or the other. Yeah, no thank you. I would much rather be friends with someone who disagrees with me than mm-hmm. be enemies over politics. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <sighs> so, Well, tell everyone how yeah. they can find your book, how they can get it, all that stuff. Yeah, so um, it's, it's available at uh, the Foundry Publishing. You can order it from there online. They are the publisher. You could also find it on Amazon. You could search my name, Timothy Brooks, or The Formational Power of Worship. And I just saw that it's on sale for $9.99 on Kindle now. I just so, bought that this morning. <laughs> on Kindle. So you didn't read it? You for didn't 999. read <laughs> You know what? This is the first interview that the author knew we didn't read the book. Uh-huh. It's not the first interview. <laughs> now, I will say this. Most there might have been one book that we interviewed the author that neither of us read a second of it. Yeah, there's been a couple books that one of us read the entire thing, and the majority of it is I have read some, (laughs) Shane has read none. That's the majority, or documentaries that we've interviewed people, and I've watched at least half of the documentary or all of it, and Shane has watched none. Yeah, I've noticed your job is to do all the work, and Shane's is to see. Yeah, look at me. I'm trying to find the face. (laughs) I'm the face. I bring the face of the podcast. I bring the people in, Tim. This is what I do as a seven. Okay, everybody wants to be my friend. Everybody wants to be around me. If this podcast was just you two threes, everyone would have been snoozing, and they would have learned a lot. (laughs) (laughs) You can snooze and learn from a three. Yeah. Yeah. metamorphosis uh diffusion yeah but from a seven you won't learn anything but golly it's a good time you ever heard um you ever heard uh the the way that they describe like every enneagram type and their preaching styles you ever heard that no gosh no so they actually say the stereotypically threes and sevens are some of the best public speakers stereotypically threes the problem with the the bar the, the bad part about threes is sometimes they are so good at selling that the audience thinks I don't even think they believe it. They are just really good at selling it to me. So that's the issue with that. Sevens, what which is Shane, the problem with them is they will go and be like, that was hilarious. That was fun. What'd you learn? Well nothing. I didn't learn a single thing. But it was hilarious. It was, it was really funny. I enjoyed it. 
So that's some of the. I've thought about. I've actually talked to Lauren recently about like. I wonder if I could do like stand up comedy. No, you couldn't. Probably not. But I've I've thought about like that at least because sometimes when I preach, I could just share story after story after story after funny thing. Like that's like my go to. And and I have to stop myself and rein myself in. And sometimes I'm like, I wish I could just like stand up and just try to be funny for a whole sermon or a whole set and just see what that was like. I don't know. Comics only have 20 jokes and they go from place to place telling those same 20 jokes. So, yeah. I mean, uh, you for might a year until a Netflix yeah, yeah, exactly. stand up. Which is why it's always out. good to be like the traveling preacher as well. You write yeah. three sermons mm-hmm. like, and you really life. rein it in. Yeah. You can you can do it without looking at notes. You can yeah all that. Yeah, stuff. we like we could tell our seven best stories on three nights, and we uh-huh. seem like we're amazing, right? Right. People are tired of our dumb stories by now, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to think. I've of told my to Dave Grohl Foo Fighter story like seven times. Oh yeah. And I and every time I say like I know I've told this story before, but get over it. It's I'm truly it excellent story. So. <laughs> I mean, I only have so many good ones. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right, let's get to our game. So this game is called This or That. We just started playing it with uh, your best friend, Kevin Sorbos, in. And, uh, and so you're the second person to do this. <laughs> and we're, we're maintaining a running tally of, of everything so that we can decide what is better, this or that. It's, this, is called a, this is a study. This it's is a, a scientific study. Yeah. Did you know that Kevin Sorbo was in Soul Surfer? I don't know what Soul Surfer is. I did not know he was in. I know My niece was is. watching it the other day. Oh, wait, is that him. the shark movie? Yeah, but the girls. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, he's in that. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's in, in a lot of stuff. Not just Hercules. Guys. I know. Yeah, he's not he's just in a lot Hercules. of stuff. Oh, he's in. A, he's in a lot of stuff. <laughs> so, anyway, um, all right. So this or that. We'll just say two options, and you pick one. Um, you can say as much or as little about it if you want, but the ideas go like quick. Like, okay. do you well, want to think about? And too since long. we've never answered it either, mm-hmm. why don't us two answer it quickly after him? Okay. And just so we. And can you can give reasoning as to why, but uh, but yeah. It's, so go ahead, Eric. All right, you ready, Tim? You ready? Let's do this. All right, this or that, Coke or Pepsi? Coke. I'm a I, Coke guy. I'm going to say Pepsi because I love Mountain Dew. Early, late, like getting up early or staying up late. I'm really kind of an in between guy. I guess I'll I guess I'll say late. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I'm more likely to risk late than to wake up early. But I'd really rather like go to bed at midnight and wake up at eight than be an earlier late. Yeah. Okay. I'm. I'm the, well, I could stay up really late. I have to force myself to go to bed at midnight. I'm yeah. for sure a late guy. Yeah. Um, cake or pie? Pie. Without a doubt. Pie all day. Pie is... Have you had... Cake hasn't gotten a vote now, yet, by the way. Now you're in Baltimore. There's this place called Dangerously Delicious Pies. Oh. And it's downtown. You don't know about it? It's going to change your world. There's a new one co- yeah. opening like somewhere closer. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think... <laughs> And they have, have you, wait, so now you're in Baltimore. Have you had burger cookies? No. B-E-R-G-E-R? It's really so. rich. It's like a like a shortcake cookie with fudge on top. It's, it's like, like a thousand cookie. calories a cookie. Really rich. <laughs> you can really only eat one. But they, really half. I eat half. Yeah. But Baltimore, or the Dangerous Delicious Pies makes a pie called the Baltimore Bomb Pie, and it's burger cookies, and okay. it's unbelievable. If you ever bring me any of this to my office, I'll consider your rent forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> Done. All right. Remember when Adam Jones used to pie people for the Orioles? Do you remember yeah. that back in the day? Yeah. He would always get them dangerously delicious pies. Oh, okay. All right. that. okay. Sweet or salty? Mm. Oh, he's struggling. <laughs> this is a really challenging question for you. 
Yeah, I mean, like, it depends <laughs> on your mood, right? I mean... Generally, where do you find yourself going more? This isn't a both, Sweet. Tim. Sweet, okay. But I, re- I really appreciate something that's both at the same time. Doesn't mean you dislike the other. Oh, no, yes. no. So like, when, like, like salted ahead. caramel? Yes. Yeah, yeah. How about this? When you go to the movies when it's not a pandemic... I would always I like getting bag of popcorn and mm-hmm. snow caps. You know snow wow. caps. Wow. Okay. Put it in your mouth at the same time. A couple of snow caps, handful of popcorn at the same time. Poof. Yeah. It's where it's at. Yeah, we're changing, see, we're like, changing your world. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like I love the combination. Yeah. And I don't like one more than the other. But I, I guess I'll go sweet. Definitely sweet. Um, I, I eat too much sweet stuff. I am a salty guy all day. Chips, fries, anything. Mm-hmm. Tea or coffee? Coffee coffee what are we british we're three pastors of course it's coffee <laughs> tea. honest to god i hate tea yeah i loathe tea Me too. and and tea is the one thing in my life that i've hated my whole life that i keep trying to like mm-hmm. but i can't do it yeah you ever watch uh, ted lasso either of you love uh-huh. it yeah he, t- he hates tea and it's hilarious yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's disgusting <laughs> <laughs> that's just hot garbage in a cup <laughs> actually i kind of think that uh shane here is going for the ted lasso look these days i know like his, his yeah. creep yeah. mustache oh yeah uh, life or Monopoly? <laughs> you're really struggling with these. I like how serious you're taking this, yeah. but let's get moving, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> life or Monopoly? <laughs> Monopoly. Shane? Uh, I think I would go Life. Did you guys know, I heard this well. recently, that Monopoly was not meant to be a celebration of capitalism, but a critique on capitalism? No, I did huh. not know that. Yeah, so like the well, idea... missed the target. <laughs> you're supposed to play this game and realize, hey, six of us played and only one win. That kind of stinks yeah that's what you were supposed to do i think i think it maybe even a socialist created it and instead we're like i'm the winner yeah. <laughs> i can be president yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right this is what america's about <laughs> dogs or cats dogs dogs see i hate both you do cats i'm so allergic suck. i'm allergic i'm allergic so, to cats too also I'm cats allergic are both. awful yeah i'm gonna go dogs you I guys guess. know that ron swanson line where he says anything under the, under 50 pounds is a cat and cats yeah. are pointless. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And last one, breakfast or dinner? Breakfast. Shane? I'm dinner. I'm a dinner guy. I'm dinner as well. See, I like, so I, I find myself breakfast not today. eating breakfast a lot I too, breakfast today. But, uh, but I like having like a steak or barbecue. Like I would, I can't pass that stuff mm-hmm. up. So I, I don't eat big breakfasts, but I love every kind of breakfast food. So if we like made breakfast food every meal, I'd be cool with that. So you're a Brenner guy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And a brunch guy. Sure. <laughs> and a breakfast sure. guy. Uh, relax. <laughs> All right. So let me give you the running tally. And then Tim, why don't you tell everybody again where they can get your book and know more about you. Coke, late, pie, salty, coffee, life, dogs, because cats don't have a vote. And... Breakfast and You're dinner saying are currently overall, tied. Like, overall. Okay. Overall. I, thought, I thought you were giving Tim's. I was like, he didn't nope. say And those. breakfast and dinner are currently tied. Tim, okay. where can everyone get your book? Amazon.com is the easiest way. You could also check out the publishing sites, foundrypublishing.com, something like that. Uh, should get you there, but Amazon is definitely the easiest. Yeah. Well, Formational thanks. Power Worship. Check it out. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to Not Your Mama's Christian Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a nice review. To support the podcast, you can go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash nymchristianpodcast. Music provided by The Revived. Check them out at therevivedmusic.com. Stay connected with us by liking us on Facebook and following us on Twitter and Instagram.